I first of all would want to take you to Hebrews chapter 1. As I mentioned earlier, our text tonight is a very famous verse. It comes from Hebrews 13 and verse 8. But I want to read, first of all, Hebrews chapter 1 from verse uh, 8 through verse uh, 12. Hebrews 1, verse 8 through 12. Verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 1. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond or above your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. That's of the Son. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. Hebrews 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, just thus far. And I want to speak tonight on Jesus being always the same, Jesus always the same. Now, I think this verse, without question, stands out among believers, stands forth among us Christians as a well-known uh, verse, as a very precious verse to Christians. Uh, here is Jesus portrayed before us as the same, and the same always, the same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. Uh, even little children learn this verse. I remember learning it myself back in Sunday school many, many years ago. And one of the things about this verse, as you read it and meditate on it and think on it, is that it is a verse that is packed with spiritual power, with the truth, the simple truth, that Jesus is unchanging, that Jesus is always the same. In fact, yesterday and today and tomorrow, forever, He's still exactly who He is. He's still the same. Now when I put myself into the frame or the context of that, how, oh how changeable I am. I'm different from yesterday as you find me today and I know that tomorrow I'll be different from yesterday and today. I'm not the same. I'm always changing. I'm declining, getting older and so on. We're not like Jesus in that respect. Jesus Christ is the same. He's unchanging yesterday, today and forever. In fact, the Greek text has an interesting way of putting this verse. It says this, Jesus Christ yesterday and today the same and to the ages. Jesus Christ yesterday and today the same and to the ages. Now, an affirmation of this verse, of verse 8, I think provides uh, we believers as Christians as a an encouragement as a strengthening, as an exhortation to, to look to Jesus. Now, we've been encouraged in the chapter 12 to look unto Jesus, the one who began, the one who ends, the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. And here again, we are invited to contemplate Jesus Christ as the same 
yesterday, today, and forever. How un utterly unlike us Jesus is in this verse. Because we are so changeable, unreliable, not dependable like Christ is. In fact, all these ideas you can see in the unchangeableness of Jesus, that He is the same yesterday, uh, today, and tomorrow. How fickle we discover uh, we are in life, how changeable we are, how up and down we are, how prone to, to emotions and uh, the topsy-turvies of life, one moment here and the next moment there. But Jesus is the same, never changes like we do. And so whenever you come across somebody, for example, in your daily work or your daily life, whom you consider to be reliable, you generally take encouragement from that characteristic of them. They're a reliable person. I can trust them. I can rely on them. I can depend upon them. And I think reliability or this, this characterization of us, if we are reliable people, is a benefit to, to others. And uh, those who are reliable are a benefit to ourselves. We are always encouraged. It gives us some, some hope when you meet someone that you can rely on, that you can depend upon. But we all, even the most reliable of us at times, oh how we can fail, how we can slip up and not be reliable when in the past we may have been reliable. But not Jesus, not our Lord. Unfailingly reliable, unerringly dependable. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. So John Owen, who's written seven volumes on the epistle to the Hebrews, he says of this verse, he says, These words appear as a glorious light, which the writer gives to us to guide our minds. To guide our minds. Now, I think by that he means to think on, to meditate on, to put it in your mind and turn it over and digest all the nuances of it. Uh, here is Jesus. Here is Jesus Christ. Here is Jesus Christ the same here is Jesus Christ the same yesterday. Here is Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today. And here is Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So many uh, varieties, so many applications just from these simple words in verse 8. The Bible, God's Word, which He has given to us, never has a verse where a verse shouldn't be. So you never read in your Bible a verse that is out of place. Now you may think a verse, why is that verse there? How does that verse fit in? But I can assure you from God's Word that every verse in the Bible is exactly where every verse should be in the Bible because this Bible is not my making or your making or any man's making but comes from the Lord Himself. So some people, when they come to verse 8, having looked at the first seven verses of chapter 13, which are all about your spiritual obligations, your spiritual responsibilities as a Christian to others, to other believers, to even strangers, to persecuted saints, to your marriage, to your possessions, to all of these things. Uh, some people, when they come to verse 8, they find it difficult to understand its placement. I mean, why is it there? Why is verse 8 there, where it is, right after verse 7 and before verse 9? But of course, because we believe, 
that the Holy Spirit is the author of our scriptures, of the Bible, we can be absolutely confident, and I want to tell you this tonight, you can be absolutely confident that its placement, its location in Holy Scripture is exactly where it is and makes perfect sense because God has put it there. Now, everybody ought to know the science of interpretation, which is hermeneutics. Every Christian ought to make themselves familiar in some way or another of the basic structure of the science of interpretation, which we call hermeneutics. The first thing we always understand when we talk about hermeneutics is that it always demands an examination of the context. It doesn't matter what verse you read, it doesn't matter what book you read, it doesn't matter where you read in your Bible, a verse or verses always demand an understanding, a comprehension of context. And generally, when we, when we think about the context of something, you can look at the context of a verse in the Bible from a general perspective, a broad perspective, and then you can narrow it down to a particular perspective. So you can uh, have a broad focus on a context and then you can come down to a narrower focus on a context. We do this, or we should do this, I think, whether it's one word in your Bible that you're studying. Remember, we all do word studies. We should do word studies. So whether it's one word, you want to understand that word wherever that word is in its context. Broadly speaking, and in its particular context, whether it's a verse, or whether it's a number of verses that you study, or whether it is a, a lengthier passage, a longer passage that you study, everything that we read should be seen within a context from the single word to the passage that makes, is made up of all of these words. So that's the first thing we do. When we look at something, we always look at the context. What is it that surrounds it? So the second thing we look at is what connections do we find within the context that this verse makes. What are the connections? So verses, wherever they are placed in the Bible, are usually tied to what has gone behind them, before them, and what usually follows them. And so you pay attention to what the previous context was, which in chapters 13, verses 1 through 7, is all about spiritual, biblical obligations that we have. Then there are some verses in the Bible that, that act as a bridge. You have to cross over to the other side to make the connections, to gain the full import of what a verse says. So though the acting as a bridge makes it easier sometimes for us to cross over to understand when we are on the other side where we have seen, come from and what we have seen. And finally... I think it's always good, and I think when we read our Bibles, your daily reading, to always read a verse as it stands just by itself. So I can read verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 13 out of Hebrews by itself and find it remarkable and find it beautiful because I comprehend the truth in the statement that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whether that's in the context of the epistle to the Hebrews, whether it's in the context of chapter 13 in the epistle to the Hebrews, or whether it's in the context of what the scriptures teach at large. One of the great truths that came out of the Reformation was uh, the analogy of scripture, to always use scripture to interpret scripture, to compare scripture with scripture. And generally, where you find difficulties in a scriptural passage or a verse 
It's always good to compare the ideas that are in that verse with other scriptures that reveal the same thing. And sometimes you find that the other scriptures shed a little bit more light on a particular verse that you may be examining. So we always compare scripture with scripture. It's a very important part of uh, understanding and interpreting scripture. All of these uh, options that I'm talking about, and there are many others as well, because we must consider history, must consider geography, must consider literature, must consider the life or the world situation in which the Hebrews, for example, found themselves. All of these things, these options, these are all, uh, as I've mentioned here now, uh, very broad grammatical concepts that are every Christian should understand, because for the simple reason that words have meaning. And not only do words mean something, but words have consequences. So Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, means something. The words mean something. And the verse means something. And we recognize that the benefit of the statement, so biblical, so theological, so deep, so profound, has consequences. That Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, has consequences for my life and for your life, and we must discover some of the, the beauties and the benefits of that. So we all, I think, comprehend that words uh, are significant. And I think when we enter into conversation with one another, we try to think about what we're going to say. Some people, you know, they've said it before they've thought about it, and that wasn't what they meant to say, but it's too late, it's out there, and now you think that's what they meant and so all kinds of trouble. We should pay attention to words, to how we speak, and so on. That implies that you think. That implies that you meditate. And generally we should think before we speak, and so on. So for example, will you just look with me at this verse broadly? You could say that here is a person who is identified, right? Who is the person? Jesus Christ is the person. And that name, Jesus Christ, or the names, Jesus Christ, that has profound significance for every Christian, for every believer. It means something to us, right? And then you could say, when you look at verse 8, that, that there are things that are said about that person. And what are those things? Well, he's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. So you, on the surface, you could, you could say those things. But then if you were to go a little bit deeper, you might raise the question, well, how is Jesus the same yesterday as he is today? And as he shall be or will be tomorrow? How is Jesus then, right at this moment, the same as he was yesterday and as he will be tomorrow? How is he like that? Another question that you might ask when you look at this well, what does this word the same mean? What does that mean? And what does it mean for these Hebrew Christians? Because this is to whom it is written. And then secondarily, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to every reader of Scripture? Because, you know, the books of the Bible are not just meant for the Hebrews or the Ephesians or uh, the Thessalonians, but are meant for every believer, every age, every Christian. One of the good commentators of Hebrews is a man called Philip Edgecombe Hughes, who was a good friend of Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I like Philip Edgecombe Hughes. He's one of the best commentators around. So he hasn't written many commentaries at all, but I can tell you that his commentary on Hebrews is, is superb and is outstanding. He says this about this verse. He says, Though this verse is a truth, 
which applies to all ages and all generations, yet it is not a statement in isolation. It applies to everything, but it is not said here by the writer without purpose, without meaning, just put in because it's a nice verse to include in this place, verse 8. So I want to look with you, if we can, tonight a little bit at some of these things. So will you notice, first of all, verse 7? Ha! We talked about verse 7 a few weeks back. Notice that verse 7 is directed at the Hebrew believers. Remember your leaders. It's directed to them. And those three things, right? Remember them, consider them, imitate their faith. So consider their lives, imitate their faith, and remember them because they preach the word of the Lord to you. Now, because we believe there's a connection between verse 8 and verse 7, and he's just told them to look at their leaders and remember them and consider them and imitate their faith, he would say in a similar way, think on Jesus in the same way. Think on Jesus in the same way. So to remember their leaders is to go back and recall to their minds uh, what those leaders were like, how they lived, consider their lives, Uh, Look at their faith, follow their faith, imitate them, don't forget them. Bring them to your mind constantly, is what he is saying, and recall what they were like. In one sense, that's like yesterday. Remember, yesterday, it's in the past, he's not saying tomorrow, he's saying remember, meaning what happened in the past. (coughs) It has happened They have already heard the word, these Hebrew Christians. They have already received the word, believed the gospel, come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It came to them through the the apostles initially and other leaders. And now they have leaders. Remember the word that is proclaimed to you and was proclaimed to you. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Because hearing the word in the past is also related to the present and is related to the future. Uh, We come here week by week, don't we? Sunday by Sunday, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. Uh, What we did last Sunday is in the past. Here we are today. We anticipate, God willing, that we shall be here next week, which is in the future. And yet all of those are just the same thing that we gather to do. We gather to worship the Lord God. And this is why they, the Hebrews, should consider how to live today because of yesterday, remember your leaders who preached the word to you, in light of what they preached to you yesterday, it's for today, and it will be of benefit for you tomorrow. In other words, it will enable you not only to live today, but to live tomorrow all the way unto the end, so that the theme of keeping on, pressing on, persevering to the end is uppermost in the mind of the writer to the Hebrews. And I've said to you so often, uh, ever since he finished his great subject of the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he has now begun to apply what it means for Jesus to be in heaven for us at the right hand of God, to intercede for us. Other, the, great, the great outworking of that is that you can press on, you can endure, you can consider Jesus who suffered so much and as a result be encouraged by him. So it's all designed 
the writer to the Hebrews, having given us the great theology, not only of the person of Jesus as we read in chapter 1, but of the priesthood of Jesus, his sacrifice, and now his intercession. It's all designed so that you and I can press on in our Christian faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I need encouragement to press on. Always encouragement. It's something you need for today, but you need it for tomorrow, don't you? In fact, you know that tomorrow might not be so good. It's possible. You know that. But the one thing you should also know about tomorrow is that Jesus, who is the one you believe in today, is still the same tomorrow. And that enables you to face with confidence and to press forward and to go on and to live your life tomorrow as you live today and have lived in the past for the glory of God, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the undercurrent in the writer's mind is that they would persevere to the end by faith. Now the leaders themselves yesterday or previously found themselves for themselves that Jesus was also for them in the past the same yesterday, today, and forever. It does not matter in whatever age Christians find themselves, this is a truth that remains ever perennial, ever the same. Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and always, and forever unto the ages. He is the source of our faith. He is the object of our faith. He is the end of our faith. He is our hope. He is the one we believe and confess. He instructed His disciples in the Word. His disciples who were so changeable. His disciples who were unreliable. His disciples who, who were up and down and all over the place. And yet Jesus remains for them, as He does for us, as He does for the Hebrews. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so now many years later, these Hebrew Christians who are struggling with persecution, who are facing suffering for their faith, who are wondering whether it is worthwhile enduring. The one thing the writer to the Hebrews says, you are in need of endurance. You need to press on. How can I help you press on? Remember your leaders, he says, in verse 7. And then remember Jesus Christ in verse 8, who's the same yesterday, today, and always. Jesus is still Redeemer. He still saves people. He still delivers them. He's going to continue to do that work by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, the application of redemption, the atonement on the cross. That's going to continue until Jesus comes. So Jesus is still our Redeemer. We can still go back and look at what did Jesus do for me? Jesus died for me. It's ever beautiful. It's ever real. It's ever powerful. It's ever present because Jesus is still the one who redeems and who saves and who is still our Lord, unchangeable as He is. So He will always be the same. Therefore, in light of the unchanging Christ, make sure that you press on to the end. You can because Jesus will be there tomorrow just as He is today and as He was yesterday when you first came to faith and trusted in Him. So for us, we have the same Lord Jesus Christ, don't we, as Peter and James and John. We have the same Lord Jesus Christ that these Hebrew Christians had. He's the same Savior, the same Christ. He will be the same when we get to heaven. He will always be the same. 
He is unchanging and unchangeable. And for all who may come after us, here at Bethel, it will still be the same. Jesus Christ, yesterday, today, and forever. Now, remember your leaders, verse 7. You can also say, connects me further back to verse 5, the promise of verse 5. What is the promise of verse 5 in the light of perseverance? I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is the promise of perseverance, right? That attaches itself to you pressing on. Why should you, why can you press on to the end? Because I will never leave you and never forsake you. So that the one who is with me, the Lord Jesus Christ, is still the same as he was yesterday and is today and is tomorrow. The Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. And of course, uh, we've seen that verse already. And that gives us confidence, doesn't it? To go on, to press on. If the Lord is with me, and the Lord will always help me, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Then I will press on, I will persevere. So you can see these are all motivations, all encouragements to these Christians, these Hebrew Christians, to persevere in their faith, to go to the end. And my helper, you see, who gets me to the end is always with me and so reliable because he's unchanging. He's always the same. And so in the midst of my trials, when all things change, in the midst of my sufferings, my afflictions, my hardships, my persecutions, the Lord is not changeable. He's still the same. Now, you know, the interesting thing about your Bible my Bible, the Bible, is that it's not abstract. It's not filled with dry, dusty maxims that sometimes sound good and maybe relevant for a certain situation. No, the Bible is always relevant. doesn't matter where you read tomorrow, Genesis through Revelation, pick any passage you like, you will discover that God's Word is alive. And God's Word is living and active, isn't it? It's always dis dissecting and it's always probing and it's always penetrating our lives if we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we read Scripture. So that all of my life situations, whatever they may be tomorrow, I go into those with the Word of God, with the living Christ who is in the Word given to me and He alone remains constant and unchanging. So my confidence every day then is the writer to the Hebrews would say your confidence is the constancy of Jesus. Constancy of Christ. Christ who is the eternal word. So when you look forward now, so how does verse 8 go in beyond it to verse 9? You discover that verse 9 uh, it gives a very practical outworking and a theological consequence to verse 7 regarding Jesus Christ in verse 8, who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So when you look at verse 9, what is he saying in verse 9? In light of perseverance, in light of the unchanging Christ. He says, don't be sidetracked. Don't get off track. You see what he says there? Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Don't be sidetracked, he says. If you get sidetracked, your perseverance is in trouble 
Your eyes are off the gold, your eyes are off the prize, so if some fancy teaching, some new idea comes along, don't be enticed by it, don't be drawn away by that teaching. The only teaching is Jesus Christ, unchangeable. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Reliable, constant. The Word of God. Don't be taken in by new ideas, strange doctrines, as the New Testament teaches us. And then you'll notice in verses 10 through 13, those verses urge you to identify with this same Jesus. So verse 10, we have an altar from which, to, from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Now look at verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. I would say to you, you can only do that if Jesus is the same. If Jesus is not the same, then who am I going to? Why would I go and identify with Jesus? No, the reason we can identify with Jesus and prove that we belong to Him is because He is precisely uh, unchangeable. And then you'll notice verse 14 points to the end of the journey. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. What city is that? That is the city of God. That is where I am going to. That is where I am persevering towards. I'm enduring all that I'm in, in, enduring to get to that final city, the dwelling place of God. And so, since I must consider verses 9, after verse 8, through verse 14, in this light, the writer, you'll notice, he's such a clever writer, this man this writes the Hebrews. He returns in verse 15 and 16 to the present. He's taken your eyes to the future, the city that lies before you. But now he draws you back to today. And he says, verse 15, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. When do you do that? You do it today, right? Right now. Verse 16, don't neglect to do good and to share what you have. Because those sacrifices are pleasing to God. How practical that is, right? So notice that, that the practical outworking of your faith is related to the persevering of your life by faith to the end. This hope that we have. And it all hinges on verse 8, Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. So I can be a praising, we can be a praising, worshipping, working, sharing kind of people. That's how you press on. That's how you press on. You commit yourself to fellowship with the saints. You love the saints. You belong to the saints. We encourage one another. We stir one another up to love and good works as we make our way to glory, as we make our way to heaven. That's how I press on. We are occupied with pleasing sacrifices, daily sacrifices of praise and of thanksgiving. And in that way, I depend upon Jesus and I am like Jesus Christ himself. All right, so now I've tried to show you the connection between verse 8 and the surrounding verses. Verse 8, such a beautiful verse, isn't it? Stands, as I've said, by all by itself. But will you notice it draws attention to the person of our Lord, to Jesus Christ. 
one of the major modern day commentators, he says this about verse 8. He says, this apparently isolated statement has no syntactic connection with what precedes or follows. Its contest also seems general, or context I should say, also seems general and unrelated to the surrounding exhortations. Well, I just plainly disagree with that modern day commentator. Right? That's why I say to you, don't listen to the modern day commentators. Stay with the dead men and you're safe. So, what does that comment, comment offer to you? It offers nothing. It leaves you, okay, so what? What are you telling me? What are you saying to me? He offers nothing of substance of help. How is that possible that you can come out of reading verse 8 and say there's no connection? And it seems to be out of place. Doesn't seem to belong. How can that be? I certainly don't see this verse, verse 8, like that in that light. In fact, to me it is profound. And it's practical. Because I see the connections behind and I see the connections in front. Which means that verse 8 then is very significant and has purpose and has reason where it is. So that commentator, to me, seems to miss the fire of the verse. And all he is offering is cold food. And I'm not interested in cold food. No thank you. Compare that statement with Matthew Henry. This is what Mr. Henry says. Here is the immutability and the eternity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great head and the high priest of the church, the bishop of their souls. He ever lives and he is always the same, and they therefore should be steadfast and immovable in their imitation of Christ. Now that is fire. That is warmth. That is food for the soul, right? And in fact, that's what I want when I read my Bible. I want satisfaction. I mean, isn't this the bread of life, God's word to us? Isn't it designed to satisfy us? Now you can bake bread and bake cakes and do all of those things, but they only satisfy for today, for the moment. You leave it long enough, it becomes moldy and whatever. You don't want it. It's not the same. But not Jesus. It's not like that. No, he's always the same. Or listen to Calvin. Calvin says, The only way by which we can persevere in the right faith is to hold to the foundation and not depart from it. For he who holds not to Jesus knows nothing but mere vanity. This then is a remarkable passage from which we learn that there is no other way of being, of being truly wise, than by fixing all of our thoughts on Jesus only. Now that's, that's food. See, he's telling me to go to Christ. That's what he's saying. He's pointing me to Christ. If you want to persevere, then look at Christ. So then let us look at Christ. Let us look at Jesus. What can I learn from these names? Notice Jesus Christ. Christ certainly points us to the Old Testament, right? Because Christ means Messiah, means the Anointed One. So I'm reminded of the Old Testament. Christ is in the Old Testament in such a way. But Jesus is in the New Testament. So that I have now, in the names Jesus and Christ, in Jesus Christ, a connection between my Old Testament and my New Testament. So the significance of that is that those two names belong to one single person. 
to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Or to put it another way, the centerpiece of all of your Bible is this person. Verse 8 is Jesus Christ. The focal point is Jesus Christ. When an artist paints a painting, he usually has a focal point. One of the remarkable watercolorists of America uh, always put a pinprick in his painting so that the light shone from the back through it and you were always drawn with your eye to that little, what is that? Just a, just a faint pinprick of light that stands out in a painting. And that's what painters do, right? Uh, if you know anything about painting, never put the subject in the middle of the painting. Never right there in the center. No, rather set it off to one side so that your eye is drawn. Your eye focuses on where your eye goes toward. It's not just a general view, but it's a particular view that causes your eye to follow and to get there. So, this is what the writer to the Hebrews is doing. Jesus Christ. There He is. Look at Him. See Him. He's told us to consider Him. He's told us to remember Him already. There He is. Jesus Christ. I always prefer, because I'm always most comfortable with referring to Jesus as the Lord Jesus Christ. That's His full title, right? He is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the New Testament uh, speaks of Him, as the Lord Jesus Christ. It is interesting in our world today that blasphemy against Jesus always hinges on those two names, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. But for believers, for you and for me, those two names are precious, aren't they? Though they constitute one single person, yet they remind us that that one single person is Jesus of Nazareth, who came, and who is Christ, who is the Son of God who came, the Promised One. So how precious Jesus Christ is to you and to me tonight. You know, in Hebrews, this form, Jesus Christ, only occurs three times. Right here, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says this, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, and if you look down in this chapter to verse 21, you can read verse 20 also. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I can't tell you how I long to get to that verse because I'm not sure how long it will take me to get through those two verses. I mean, they are magnificent, aren't they? Let alone here, verse 8, that we have before us. Jesus Christ is mentioned in every New Testament epistle except 3 John. 3 John talks about God. But Jesus Christ is said and mentioned in every single New Testament epistle. In addition to just Jesus, or just Christ, or just the Lord Jesus Christ. So your entire New Testament because he's in the Gospels as well, isn't he, is about Jesus. Christ by itself just means Messiah, as I've said, the Lord's anointed. So Calvin says that the, the word yesterday comprehends the entirety of the Old Testament Scriptures. 
that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, is all that the Old Testament comprehends and speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know when we look at these two names, Jesus and Christ, that they remind us, don't they, of the humanity and the deity of the single person, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see here in those two names, the person and the work revealed. Because Jesus means Savior. He shall save His people from their sins. And so these are the truths I want to say to you when you read Jesus Christ that are precious to us. That mean something. That are in our hearts and in our minds. In fact, there is not one Christian alive who does not know the truth of those two words. Not one Christian. Because to be a Christian, you must comprehend what Jesus Christ who he is and what he has done and what that means. William Gouge, one of the older commentators, he said this verse, verse 8, lays down the reason to move or motivate Christians. And he says the reason is that Jesus Christ is the object of our faith and this propels us forward, he says, to live in the light of that truth. Do you know that you live your daily Christian life in the light of the truth of Jesus Christ? Because that defines the Christian. Jesus Christ. Not like the world's religions that change or are added to or are subtracted from. No. Jesus Christ unchanging. The same yesterday, today and forever. Which reminds me that my faith is a constant thing. The faith itself that I confess. I may be up and down, but this Jesus Christ that I believe and confess is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the Savior I want. That's the Lord I want. You remember how Thomas, who was not there when Jesus first appeared to ten disciples, and they said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And... He said, unless I see, unless I see, I will never, never, ever believe. And then a week later, Jesus appears again. The doors are locked. And now there's the eleven, and Thomas happens to be with them. And how gracious of the Lord, who immediately turns to Thomas. He says, Thomas, here I am. See my hands. See my feet. There, come, give me your hand. Put it in my side. See that it is I. Well, Thomas doesn't have to do that, does he? No, <laughs> my Lord and my God. Who is Jesus Christ to Thomas? Who one week previous, or even up until that very moment, before Jesus appeared in their midst, now Jesus Christ is my Lord and my God. So when we speak of Jesus, which can be casually spoken, and I think perhaps is too casually spoken sometimes by believers today, that name tells us of his work, what he will do. He's going to save us. That's what Jesus does. So Matthew 1.16 says, Jesus who is called Christ. And Luke chapter 2 verse 11, a Savior born in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So he is Jesus Christ. I believed in Jesus Christ a long time ago and I still believe the same Savior unchanged 
unchanged. Oh, I have changed. I hope for the better. But sometimes sin rushes in. But not Jesus Christ, the same unchanging, sinless, perfect Savior. Just what I need every day. Just what I need to get to the end, to make it to glory. Jesus is the name then that is given to God's Son. And our Lord is referred throughout all of His earthly life, it's true, as Jesus. And every time a, a Jew or a Hebrew said Jesus, that just brought straight to their minds, Savior. Every time they mentioned Jesus, His name, that's what it meant. It meant Savior. And so our Lord, in His infancy, in His childhood, in His youth, and as an adult, by His friends, by His foes, by His countrymen, by strangers, at His circumcision, at His baptism, at His death, after His death, by angels, by apostles, by evangelists, and yes, even by demons, is called Jesus. The same Jesus that I believe, and you believe. He's not a once-in-a-generation kind of Savior. Every now and again in the history of the world uprises some significant individual. But they soon pass into history. And then somewhere along the line you discover that they're fallible and that they're weak and they're not what you really expected. But not Jesus. He's the same. As he always was and always is and always shall be. So he's a savior for all of the ages, through all of the ages. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He's always our savior. He's always our Lord in every age. He still does his work of saving people from their sins. Do you know there are nearly a thousand verses in the New Testament that mention his name? A thousand verses. Pontius Pilate, fed up with the Jews, wrote a title, didn't he, and put it on the cross of Jesus, and he wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is a true Savior, dear congregations, not a false Savior. He's a true Savior. The writer to the Hebrews says this about him, but we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, but now is crowned with glory and honor, Hebrews 2.9. And the writer to the Hebrews has urged us in chapter 12 to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, because he is an all-sufficient Savior, not just a true Savior, but all-sufficient to cover all that I need. And he's a perfect Savior, Hebrews 12, 24. He is Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. He is Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens. So let us hold fast to our confession. He is the guarantor of a better covenant, Hebrews chapter 7. He's an everlasting Savior, an ongoing, everlasting, eternal Savior. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them, for His people. You see, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, dear congregation, here it is. I trusted Jesus in the past, yesterday. I trust Him in the present, today. And I will trust Him in the future, 
and forever because he's still the same person that I came to know and believe and so did you Jesus Christ the same yesterday today and forever he never changes so in a world that is changeable and changing made up of people like you and me that are changing and fickle and unreliable there is one who is always constant my Savior your Savior his word never changes his sacrifice never changes he's always the same so change and decay in all around I see O thou who changest not abide with me right so let us labor on immovable fixed on the rock of our salvation let's pray together our Heavenly Father thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ your beloved son thank you that we have tried to to understand what this simple verse which is so profound means we pray that the truth of it the reality of it may propel us forward encourage us motivate us to keep on because we believe in the same Savior yesterday today and always so unchangeable unchanging cannot change how reliable he is in an unreliable world how constant he is when all about us is in decay and ruin yet Jesus remains the same he shall be the same unto eternity forever and ever and we shall worship the same Jesus who came and lived among us who was raised from the dead and ascended to the Father's right hand who is going to come again in glory for his people let us press on Father help us to persevere help us to endure to the end we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior we thank you for your word now we thank you for this Lord's Day that you've given to us we ask that you would go before us this week that you would help us in all that we must undergo. May we fall back, rely upon, constantly depend upon our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the same for us yesterday, today, and forever. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Amen.